For the Christ following journey. Today's big idea God is great. Amen, amen. God's great, isn't he? Let's give, let's give God a hand today for how great he is. How incredible, how incredible it is to sing praises to him. What a perfect song to set up the, the idea today. Here's the big idea. Remember, we're kind of in children's church together through this series. Easy stuff that we can take into this week. God is great. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 14 today. I hope you have your Bibles. If you're with us online, we're so glad you're joining us. We know a lot of people visit every week, got lots of needs. Text hello to that number on your screen. We'd love to chat with you and get you connected to Jesus Christ. Those of you here at the normal campus, you guys, uh, it's so good to have you and to hear you singing and worshiping the Lord together. For those of you on Bloomington campus, uh, God bless you guys. Rumor has it that next week I'll be preaching there live. So uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be there with you guys. The big announcement today. Hope you guys get that. Uh, looking forward to seeing you. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my wife who's in Arizona with my uh, son and daughter-in-law and uh, granddaughter celebrated two years. Sarah, love you. But I, I thought today would be fun just to, just to give a shout out to the coaches that are represented here at Eastview Christian Church. So I've tried to catch all of them. If I missed you, I'm sorry. Send me an email this week telling me how big of a loser I am, all right? Uh, I'd say a shout out, if you're Wesleyan, uh, Coach Ron Rose and Coach Totten, two Tottens actually, and Coach uh, Glick, God bless you guys. If you go to ISU, uh, Coach Emily Seifkin and Brian Jones, Coach Holm, and of course my guy, Coach Kralis, golf coach. Uh, Coaches York and McDowell at UHigh, uh, Coach Whit Witzig, of course, right up the road here at Normal, and Tri-Valley coaches Cagle and McCormick. God bless all of you that coach our kids and move them along. So glad you guys are with us today. If I missed anybody, I'm sorry. A little league doesn't count. Just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. Uh, it, it counts. It counts. It counts. All right. Uh, as I've said many times, guys, when, when it comes to the Word of God, a lot of times when people say, Pastor, it's hard for me to read the Bible because it's boring. And I, when, when people say that, I'm like, well, you haven't read Exodus 14. There's so much that you haven't read because this story that I'm going to tell you today is not boring. It's a great story from the Word of God. In fact, this, great, this God is great story is so great, it's such a good story, that it's been told for 3,500 years. Over and over again, I could say that this is one of the greatest stories told in the Bible. Forty years after this took place, a, a lady by the name of Rahab, who was a part of a pagan nation, had heard of this story. Eighty years after this story had taken place, Joshua was reminding the people, hey, remember, remember the Red Sea? A thousand years after this story, Nehemiah the prophet was going, hey, y'all remember how God got us through the Red Sea? Even into the New Testament, when the church started, there was an early Christian sermon in Acts 1,500 years later after this story where he's saying, hey, don't forget the history of the Red Sea. And all the way up to the first century church in Corinth, Paul the apostles are writing to them about baptism and how it looks like the Red Sea crossing. This story, and, and by the way, here we are, 3,500 years later, and I'm telling you this story today because it is one of the stories that reminds us that what's our big idea today? God is great. 11 o'clock service is a little faster than that. God is great. You're not quite awake yet. More coffee, please. Well, after the final plagues, here's the story. After the final plagues, we get to chapter 14. God's done these, these 10 plagues. They're powerful, and he's moved the people of God out of Egypt. 
Over two million Israelites literally sent packing. The Egyptians were so overwrought with God's power, they're saying, take our stuff, take our food, take our clothes, just get out of here, we're done with the plagues, and these people move on. These, remember, they have been in slavery for 430 years, and now they're walking away free, and they're loaded with all kinds of supplies, and it's a great celebration day, this new lease on life. And not only that, but God, and by the way, if you want to know, I'm not making all this stuff up, it's in the first part of chapter 14 of Exodus. God is leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and they are headed to the promised land, except that's not God's way. God's not going straight to the promised land. This is a map of of uh, where these guys are at. They're up here in a place called Goshen. They actually leave Ramses. By the way, if you want to know, Leroy's that way. Okay? Way, way, way far away. They couldn't make it. But they move from Ramses down to Python, and they come. Now, now just understand something here. I want you to look at this map. The, be the best and quickest way to get to the promised land is up here. But God says to Moses, I'm not going there yet because they're not ready for war. They'll face the Philistines. They'll get slaughtered. That's the end of the story. I got more story to write. So he says, we're going to go down here to Pahiroth, and we're going to camp here between Migdol and the sea. And that's where the people of God find themselves. And uh, I'm sure, because I know humans the way that I know humans, some people are going, hey, he's going to I, I don't know if God knows what he's doing here or not, but we should be going left instead of right, and we're kind of trapped here behind the sea. So there were probably some people questioning some things about God and the route that they were taking, but quickly it got more intense because meanwhile, back in Egypt, Pharaoh's sitting around there, and we might be two or three months after they've left because that's about a 120-mile journey it's only about three inches on this map, but it's 120 miles in real life, moving two million people. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Pharaoh's going, what do we do? Wait a minute. We let those people go? That's our whole economy. It's everything we have. Let's go get them. And so he gets together 600 chariots, and uh, they make their way after uh, the people of God. I'm, I'm sure that they put in their earphones and put on their go-to-war go playlist, the Egyptians did, and it's probably some, walk like an Egyptian, probably something like that. Uh, I have to give credit to Matt Ludwig. He threw that one my way, and I thought, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so thank you, Matt. But when with the people of God, they see this army of Egypt charging after them, they're trapped. The sea is in front of them. I want you to see this. The sea is in front of them. The army is coming after them. They are trapped right there in the middle. And death is imminent. And so... The people start doing what people do. They start complaining. We'll get to that in just a moment. But Moses goes to God. God, now what? And I love this because in, in chapter 14, God says to Moses, hey, don't look at me. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. Now, that must have been a really weird instruction. But what God is saying here is that my people are not trapped. They are going, they're not going to die here. I am God. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I'm pretty great. I've gotten you out of Egypt, and I'll get you through this sea that's in front of you. I will show Pharaoh and my people just how great I am today. And here's the plan. My people are going through the Red Sea. Meanwhile, 
Pharaoh's army gets closer and closer. Those dust clouds stirring up are closer and closer. And you know people are going, ah, we're going to die. They're screaming and there's running and there's orders being given. There's men taking up swords and, and they're going, oh, let's go. It's on. And then all of a sudden, the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that was leading the people goes behind the people and separates them and protects them from Pharaoh. And that's where we pick it up today in chapter 14, verse 21. Great story, right? Is the Bible boring? I don't think so. Verse 21, we'll see the rest of the story. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of the fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course, and when the morning appeared, as the Egyptians, uh, sorry, sorry, when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Let's pray. Ask God to speak to us this great, this great reality. God, 3,500 years ago, you did it in a powerful way because you alone are great. And now, God, we want you to do it again. In our hearts today, would you encourage those of us who stand in a place of fear, Stand in a place of doubt. Stand in a place of wondering. I know there are many watching right now online. This is their first time. Would you touch them? Would you draw them in with the message of Jesus Christ? God, would you help us all, all of us in this weird, crazy time that we're living in, would you help us to find great hope and strength and courage? God, would you encourage thousands of Christians, believers, Christ followers today, here, now, by the word of God? Lord, as I lift up your son, Jesus Christ, the living word, and I preach your written word, the Bible, may your Holy Spirit move us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the people of God are often filled with fear and prone to complain when we're standing on the shores of the impossible. I'm calling this the shores of the impossible. We're standing on the shores of the impossible. What's impossible? Well, we've got a trained army behind us. We've got a Red Sea in front of us. There is no way out. We're trapped. And you know who we're going to blame? We're going to blame Moses and, and the Lord for this. We, we get afraid and we begin to complain. It's part of the, the habit that people then and people now, people of God, when they stand on the shores of impossible, we're prone to go, well, what did we come here for? 
And uh, we don't use proper English when we ask those questions. And with prepositions, you never do that, okay? Sorry. Uh, you, we, why did God bring us here? Why didn't we just go straight to the promised land? What is he up to? What is he trying to accomplish? We stand on the shores of a possible, and we have no idea how we're going to get out. And so we fear, and then we begin to complain. Somebody else messed this up. It's somebody else's problem. What I'm going through is the issue. Can anybody here relate to the shores of impossible today? Or should I go ahead and finish this sermon? <laughs> I think you can. You're standing in a place today, all of us, because of COVID-19 or any other number of things that are related to that, and you're standing, you're, you're looking at your life going, I literally don't know how I'm going to get forward, and I'm being crashed in on from behind and so when we come to the shores of impossible in Exodus now, then and now, we, we don't find the people of God proclaiming God is great. That's what I want to go back to. I read you the end of the story. You know how it turns out. Yes, God's great. But when you're standing on the shores of impossible, like all of us kind of have nodded our heads in agreement that we are today, is God great? Is he still great when you don't know the way out? Is he still great when you have the fears coming upon you? Is he still great when you don't know how you're going to get through? Well, I think he is. So let's look at these shores that we're on, the shores of this ongoing pandemic. I need you to find a shore today. If this sermon is going to work, you online watching, you here, those in Bloomington, you're going to say, what's the shore of my impossible today? Where's the place that I'm hanging out? Maybe your shore is social unrest or all the injustices that we're witnessing that we're seeing all the time in our lives. Maybe your shore is, I don't know if my life matters. I don't know what my life is about. I don't know if I belong, if I have purpose. Maybe your shore is living in a culture of spiritual and moral decay. We're all on that shore. Maybe your shore is a political unrest or racial unrest or economic division in your life. Maybe your shore is emotional fatigue. You're just tired of it all. Maybe your shore is mental illness or depression, and you're going through a time of just not really understanding why. Maybe you're lonely, that's your shore. Maybe you're discouraged, that's your shore. Maybe you've lost your job, and that's your shore. You don't know how you're paying the bills. Maybe you have kids at home, and you're not a person that wants to homeschool, <laughs> but that's your shore. Maybe it's a loss of freedoms. What shore of impossible are you standing on today? And here's the question, what's going to happen next? Because two million people didn't know, and many of us still don't know. So today, will you just join me, and let's shift our focus off of the obstacle and onto a God who is great. Whatever shore you on, here's what I'm asking for us to do today. For us all to say, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I have a God who is great, and that's going to shift my thinking. If thousands of us do that, it would make the difference. There are three greatnesses of God revealed on these shores of impossible then and now. I want to share with you really quickly, really simple sermon and teaching today. The first is this. Our God, our great God, always has our back. By the way, I put these notes out there for you all the time. You can get online. You can access the sermon notes. If you want to take notes, there's lots of scriptures I reference, but I don't tell you what they are. So please go back and do your homework and make sure you understand what I'm saying. But first, I want to point out our great God always has our back. What's behind the people of Israel? What's coming? What's bearing down on them? It is the army of Pharaoh. In some ways, you don't have to really think it through too much to go, their past is coming after them. 
Their past of slavery, their past of lack of freedom, their past of being uh, overcome by this army of, of Egypt is coming upon them. Can you imagine, guys, can you imagine the anger and the thoughts of the army of Egyptian, the Egyptian army as they pursue these Israelites? Every one of them that we're pursuing has had somebody in their household die because the firstborn was taken out. Can you imagine their attitude of revenge and their attitude of, of we want to get them back and we want them to come back and be our slaves? Can you imagine how aggressive these people were? And they were out to destroy the people of God. Now here's what, I, I've been using this, uh, this number a lot and you guys might be saying, how do we know there were two million people? That seems like a lot of people. Well, here's what we find in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. We find that they count the men. There are 600,000 men besides women and children is what it says in 1237. So you just do a little math there. You kind of put some women and some children in this whole equation, and you've probably got two to three million people. And they were not trained. They're not ready for war. So you can just picture the, the, the absolute desperation these guys are in. I, I, listen, I know you're sitting there going, you're overselling this to us. We get the story. Can we move on? No. We got to go back to the shores. We got to stand there and we got to feel how desperate it is that the people that we just smoked with 10 plagues, our God just which really punished them with 10 plagues, that those people are angrily pursuing us. And when they get here, we're going to die. The Bible says they feared greatly. The Bible says that they were complaining to Moses. They actually said these words to Moses, which is just like Christians today. We told you we didn't want to leave Egypt. We loved Egypt. It was awesome. 430 years of pure bliss as we were slaves to a country that enslaved. We loved it back there. No, you didn't. You just don't understand how God's going to work in your life right now. And so many people right now, guys, we are so like, these, like we want to go back yeah, when are we going to go back to normal? I've said it, and I've heard it said a thousand times. When are we going to get back to normal? It's like, you know what? Life was pretty awesome in 2019. No, it wasn't. We were stressed. We still had the same politics. We still had the same economy. We still had the same jobs. You know what I haven't heard since COVID-19? Nobody said to me, man, I'm stressed. I'm doing so much. <laughs> it's more like, I'm bored. I can't do anything. But we want to go back. We think, the, we think behind us is always the best place to go, and it's not. And so God says, let me just, just calm you guys down a little bit. Verse 19 that we read earlier. Then the angel of God who was going before the host moved and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. This is a great God saying, listen to you, listen, this is the point. Our great God always says, I got your back. You don't have to worry about what's gaining on you. You don't want to worry about the enemies that are pursuing you because I am going to be there with you. He's not just a guide. He's not just a cloud that says, follow me. He's a presence that says, not only can you follow me, but I will come between you and your enemies and I will protect you. I will be there with you. Remember God's covenant with his people on this shore of impossible. I want you to hear this today. God says, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus comes along and says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, today God is with us. And not only is he, he's not with a pillar of cloud. Some of us would prefer the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Man, I wish God would just go, okay, I'm moving now and I could just follow him. But God's put his spirit inside of us. His presence is with us all the time. And so this, 
This Holy Spirit presence not only guides us, but it protects us from our enemies. If COVID-19 is a shore of impossible, then what is the army, what is the enemy that's pressing on behind you through the power of Satan? What's bearing down on you right now? If you just, if you just identify your Egyptian army, is it pain? Because you know what's not gone away with all this mental duress and stuff that we're going through? People still get diagnosed with cancer. Happened in our church several times this week. People still die. It happened in our church several times this week. And all the pain, maybe it's just pain. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis. That's what's coming on you and you feel overwhelmed and you can't defend yourself. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a real fear. Maybe it's distrust in other people. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe you're now struggling with believing that God can do something. Talk to a lot of young people. You're like, where is God in all this? Maybe that's who you are. And I just want to encourage you today by saying God is great, and by his spirit, he always has our back through Jesus Christ. And you might be saying, well, time out, Pastor. I'm going to call you on that because it sure doesn't feel like God's got my back right now. It feels like he's distant. It feels like I'm alone. And I always tell people when they're like, it feels like God's not here. I'm like, imagine how scary it would be if God wasn't. Imagine COVID-19 without God. I'm always, I'm always, it kind of makes me laugh every time I pass a place of business or I see a sign. I've seen these several on, on people's cars. It says, hey guys, don't worry, we'll get through this together. And I always look at my wife and I go, are they sure? Because if we're not talking about Jesus Christ, there is no, we're just, we're just hoping that we'll luckily get through this together. We're strong enough and we'll overcome it. But without Jesus Christ, we're not going to get through it together. It, listen, if you're trapped here between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, you're not going to get out unless God intervenes in your life. And that's the way it is in this time in, uh, of our lives now. Guys, I'm to tell you, COVID-19 is weird. This whole culture is weird. I don't know the answers, but I know this, that God's got my back, and I know he's got your back too if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I'm telling you, here's, here's the reality for the Israelites. The Israelites were not less, just because the cloud moved behind them, they didn't go, whew, okay, that solves it. I'm good now. The presence of God doesn't always take away all your fears, doesn't take away all your pain, doesn't take away all the what's God going to do, but it does give you a comfort knowing he's there, which moves us to our next greatness. Greatness number one is God's got our back. Greatness number two is that God always makes a way. I want you to hear this. We have a great God who always makes a way. But God's greatness is, is the kind that not only protects us from the enemy, but he moves us through the impossible. So I can see the committee meetings now. They're sitting around going, okay, let's get together. Now God's protecting us from the army. We're kind of safe, but we got to do something. How are we going to get out of this? And there's probably somebody going, you know what? We, can, we could probably kind of edge along the shore and move to the north and we get up towards where we're going. There's probably somebody going, you know what, I got some engineering friends, we can build a bridge. We'll just build a bridge across this. They're still desperately trying to figure out how are they going to, to get across the Red Sea. But God does something that I'm sure no one was thinking of. Nobody was sitting there, I got an idea, let's go through it. But remember when we started this Exodus thing, I told you Exodus, the word is made up of two words, ek, uh, which is out, and Hadas Road, it's the road out. Exodus is the way out, and God always makes a way out. Right when you think it's impossible, right when you think he can't, God is ready to make a way out through your life. 
He doesn't go around the sea. He doesn't go over the sea in a bridge. He says, my people will go through the sea, and God begins an all-night process. Did you notice that? It's an all-night process. God begins with a strong east wind. This is, a, this is just sermon extra. This is extra stuff. I'll, I'll chuck this away for another sermon another time, but I'm going to give it to you for free. Okay? Uh, God usually uses a process to accomplish his will in my life, in your life. I know you want him just to go, snap, Red Sea open, we're across. You just want him to go, snap, and we're on the other side. But that's not the way God, God always uses process because he's got something bigger in mind than your Red Sea. He's trying to coordinate all the Red Sea crossings in the world, and he's got a process. I'm always struck by God, snap your fingers, let's get this going. No, we're going to take a night. We're going to let the strong east wind blow across the Red Sea. We're going to have the waters divided. You see that in verse 29 and earlier. It says the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and their left. I know some of you might be thinking, because you've heard that this can be explained as a, as a dry season and the people crossed on dry ground because it was a shallow part of the, the sea and all that stuff. Uh, the word wall that's used here is a specific wall uh, in the Old Testament used of city walls, town walls, at least 20 to 25 feet uh, tall. So what we're getting recounted for us here in this story is a miracle. Because why? Because God is great. If you, if you don't think God's very great and you don't have a great God, then you have to figure out how do they really do it, right? But if you think God's great, you just go, well, well God went, Walls, we walked through on dry ground. And they did. And the people walked through on the dry ground, and they were in a safe place. Hebrews eleven twenty nine 29 mentions this story. Did you know that? It's the, only, it's the only people mentioned in the book of Hebrews 11, not by name. It's a group of people. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Listen, by the way, caution, we are entering a tweet zone right now, okay? <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but hey, if you tweet, this would be a good one. It starts here. Faith moves forward when the way seems impossible. Faith moves forward when the way seems impossible. What did he say here? When, when, when Moses and the people are complaining, crying out to God, Moses is going, the people are complaining, God, fix this, help me out of here. And he says to them what? Go forward. It's there in chapter 14, verse 16. Go forward. And I, I can imagine Moses going, we, we can't go forward. You can go forward if you trust that God says take the next step and you're willing to take one step of faith towards your freedom. God will make a way. Faith moves forward when the way seems impossible. The problem with you and I is that we have a, a Buzz Lightyear mentality when it comes to our life. And I say this only because my cute little grandson has fallen in love with Buzz Lightyear. And you know his catchphrase, to infinity and beyond. Heard it a million times, said it a million times. Last week, I was in Cincinnati with my uh, grandson and had his Buzz Lightyear, you know, the one that squeezes, you squeeze the legs and the arms come out, to infinity and beyond. And I was teaching him how to fly uh, outside the window of my driver's side car, which I really got in trouble with, with my wife and my daughter-in-law. Uh, because when I handed it back to him, 
he promptly threw his Buzz Lightyear out the window. But I had to remind him, like, like Woody did, you're a toy, you can't really fly. And then um, and, uh, somebody coming, and we were at the hospital, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and somebody came in and ran over Buzz's leg, broke it. I popped it back in, but the foot's still broken. Immediately, mom and, and daughter-in-law are trying to figure out how are we going to replace this. I'm like, no, that's a good lesson. Sometimes Buzz breaks his leg. And just teach this kid that sometimes if you try to fly out a window, it's bad. He's got a new one, by the way. <laughs> Nobody listens to me. Is there anything that I'm having to say about this story that goes with uh, Exodus 14? Maybe. That's got a cute grandkid. Uh, no, seriously. We think spiritually beyond we, we, we sometimes get trapped into thinking, I'm guilty of this as well. I want to know what God's, I've heard people say, can't wait till 2021. Well, how do you know it's going to be any better than this? We're always thinking beyond. We're always thinking to infinity. We're always thinking somewhere else, somewhere future, somewhere beyond where we are right now. And sometimes faith in God comes down to this simple reality. Just take the next step. Here you are. We're here with these people. We're here in this situation. We're here in this country. We're here in this reality. And God is saying, just take the next step. If God has led you here on the way to where he is taking you, he will make a way to get you there. You think the Red Sea crossing was impossible? It was nothing compared to the ocean of my sin and your sin. If you want to know, can God get you through on the shores of impossible? No matter who you are, wherever you're watching from today, whether you're here live or you're watching online, our sin is like standing on the Red Sea with our sins bearing down on us and trying to haunt us and trying to remind us how big of a loser we are by the power of Satan and are in front of us, we can't find a way forward. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and if you just give your life to me, I will get you to the other side. That's the salvation story, y'all. That's what God has done in our life. There was a time where all of us were on the shores of impossible going, I can't be righteous. I can't get right. I can't do right. But God is going to take my place by his son, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And praise God, I've gotten through the sea of my sin because of the grace of Jesus Christ. We sing a song around here that I really, on those days, and I know that you usually see, I tell you this, you see me on my most spiritual 35 minutes every week. The rest of the week, I'm a lot like you, and I go through family stuff, and I go through job stuff, and I go through personal stuff. And one of the songs that's kind of become an anthem for me and Sarah throughout these last four or five years is, is the song that says, uh, let's just do it again. And there's a great line, and it says, you made a way where there is no way, and I believe that I'll see you do it again. It's a declaration of faith. Has, can anybody here testify? Can anybody online testify? Tell your family, tell your roommates, tell the people watching with you. Can anybody testify that God's made a way for you in the past with your, with your marriage, with your finances, with your kids, answered prayers, miraculous healings, circumstantial realities that come? You thought there was no way, but God made a way was there no, where there was no way. Can anybody testify to that today? Amen. Well, here's, here's all I can tell you when you're standing here with me now on the shores of, of, you know, not understanding the shores of impossible. Guys, 
if he's done it before, I believe we'll see him do it again. He's ready to do something amazing in our sight and amazing in our lives. Because God said that Pharaoh would pursue them, he's getting ready to do something amazing in the lives of the Israelite people. I want you to remember, they still don't know what's happening. You know the end of the story. They're still standing there with their babies and their flocks and their herds, going to the promised land, having left slavery, but slavery seemed to be bearing down on them. And their past seemed to be bearing down on them. And that leads us to greatness number three. Our great God always fights for us. He always fights for us. I'm not sure exactly, we, we don't know with the language here in the Hebrew, what exactly happened here, if the cloud moved completely uh, from behind them to ahead of them again, and the Egyptians said, hey, the weather cleared off, let's chase them. Whatever happened here, they saw the Israelites going through on dry ground, they said, we can take our chariots down there, and they began to pursue them, and you can imagine how crazy it was when the people saw the chariots now coming into the, uh, into the dry land across the Red Sea with them. But here's what God does. God looks down. Look, verse 24. God sees his people. He looks down from the cloud. And verse 25, he throws the Egyptians into panic, into 24. And then 25, he clogs their chariot wheels. What an incredible scene. This is just the humor of God. I just was like, hey, angels, let's mess with these guys. And their, their wheels start clogging. Actually, the Hebrew word means to swerve or to turn. So I, I like to see these guys just going, I can't drive this thing anymore. And they're crashing into each other, and suddenly they go, oh my gosh, the same God that sent the ten plagues is fighting for his people. Let's get out of here. Then it's too late. The Lord literally, it says, he, he shook them off. Verse 27, he throws them back into the midst of the sea. Moses stretches out his hand. All the waters come over the people, and the people of God see this incredible victory on the other side. When God fights for his people, it's always complete victory that includes what we see in the time of his victory. The Bible tells us that they saw the great power of God. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, verse 31. He saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. They saw it with their own eyes. And I believe that God is fighting for us now in and through his church, and we are seeing with our own eyes how God is using this, this crazy pandemic, this crazy time in our history. He is using it to bring people to faith in Christ. He is using it to make Christians more generous. He is using it to set the foundation for students and children in our church. He is using this to help us uh, you know, give to those who have the most need in our culture. He's He's using the church to help us love people more. God is bringing victory in the midst of what seems like defeat because God fights for us. Amen? <laughs> yeah, you, you can clap for God all day long, man. But here's another thing that they saw, and I want to I mark this because they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. You might go, why, why this detail? Were they trying to go for an R rating in this story in the Bible? They had to have some dead Egyptians floating up on the seashore. No, God wants them to remember that's a picture of your past. Your sin, your slavery, your past, you're never going back to that. It's done. I've taken care of the Egyptian army. It's over. Remember, these are people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That was the last Passover. They came out of Egypt after the Lamb had been slaughtered 
and they, they, they were passed over because of the sacrifice of the lamb. And that's you and I today. We might often feel like our sins are bearing down, coming back, threatening to expose us or overtake us. But the end of the story through Jesus Christ is 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. God is great. And so he brings us victory. He's got our back. He's going to make a way through, and he's going to take out our enemies, and he's done that through Jesus Christ. There's one other word I want to look at, and then we're almost done here. In verse 13, for some of you, if you want to turn uh, the page, verse 13 says, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. It's related to the same word that says uh, the, the, the Lord saved Israel that day in verse 30. Remember when we were in Joshua and we said the name Yehoshua, easy for me to say, was the word for salvation. It's Jesus' name in the New Testament. That's the translation of Jesus' name. He's a God of salvation. He's a God who saves. And so we can trust him to do that again. Here we are once again on the shores of impossible. But we should stand here not in fear, but in anticipation because there's another shore. If I, could just, if I could just pray a prayer for you all today, whoever's watching, whoever's here, I, I would pray this prayer for you that we stand now on the shores of impossible, but there's another shore. We, we, maybe you can't see it. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're panicked. Maybe we're tired. I don't know what it is, but there is a shore that's on the other side of impossible, and our God is gonna make a way. On that shore, we're going to stand victorious. On that shore, all fear is going to be gone. There's another shore where our enemies are defeated, another shore where the faith has become sight, another shore where there's no more crying or pain. There's another shore where we celebrate. There's another shore where we sing. There's another shore where we declare for eternity, our God is great. It doesn't feel like it now. But by the time we get to chapter 15 of Exodus, all these Frady Cat people, all these people who are wishing they were back in Egypt, are now on the other side victorious. There's another shore, guys. There's another shore. And by the power of God through his son, Jesus Christ, we're going to get there. And uh, my encouragement for us today is to sing like our great God has already gotten us through. Because he will. He will. Amen.